Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. going on everybody how are you doing hopefully your week was tremendous and fabulous hopefully you were able to enjoy the beautiful past couple of days we've been having with this summer like new england weather i am your host james murphy aka murph and you can find me on all social media platforms at murphs underscore boston st where the st stands for sports talk i just run out of characters uh the username handle so it is what it is I come with depressing news. Obviously, it's been a couple days since the Game 6 loss to the New York Islanders in the Stanley Cup playoffs second round where the Boston Bruins lost 6-2. to I'm going to be talking about that, breaking that game down, what went wrong, what could you have done to fix things. <clears throat> I'm also going to talk about a little bit of a Bruins exit season discussion where I'm going to be talking about you know key players they're going to be losing in free agency who they should bring back, why, why should they not bring them back, and what I would like to them, for them to ultimately do this offseason because they do have a big offseason coming up if they want to maintain their competitive nature but also get better because you and I both know that these Boston Bruins need to get better in a multitude of areas. And then I also want to talk about Chris Sale who had his first um, – what was it? His bullpen session. Yeah, his first bullpen session today. It's super exciting. I'm going to go into an article from MassLive.com that breaks that down and just kind of discuss of how Chris Sale is feeling, and hopefully we can see him back before August, I think is the timetable right now that we're looking for him to come back, but you know, things could change, things could go for the better, go for the worse, but you know, most importantly, we cannot rush him back, and also, Chris Sale has said that he is okay with taking on a certain role for the Boston Red Sox when he does return for the 2021 season when that time comes. But first, sorry that this episode's a little late. I know that the Bruins aren't on. There's really nothing for me to kind of chat about with, you know, the game going on in China, you know, record through it or record before it or whatever. I was enjoying the day. You know, I is it that bad that I just wanted to enjoy a beautiful Friday? Uh, relaxed, watched a little TV, ran a couple errands, and I also was do, um, doing some woodworking, which is one of my favorite hobbies. Kind of odd, I know, for me. But, you know, it's something I've been doing for two years now, and I love it. And it was good to kind of get down in the shop because I haven't really been down there too much. Wood's so expensive. That's just how it is. And I can go on a tangent about that. But this isn't a woodworking podcast. This is a sports podcast. So I will not bore your ear off if that's not what you're into. However, I was down there finally completing a couple small projects and also starting a project that I hope to have done for the shop whenever that time comes. And speaking of the shop, Murph's Car Town and Sports Shop, I did get to go have a site visit today at the same place that I saw last week and things are going very well. I don't want to spoil anything yet, but once I know more information or once the process is further along down the road, you will be the first one to know about it. So that is kind of what I did today. Hopefully you were able to ha enjoy your day today doing whatever it may have been. Maybe you went to the beach. Maybe you were working. Maybe you had the day off. Maybe you were out at the park with your 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 dogs, your pets, or with your kids or whatever. But hopefully you enjoyed the day. And if you want to, reach out to me at social media or comment down below if you're watching on YouTube what you did today. You know, I'm very curious to see. It was a gorgeous day today. Uh, I think it's supposed to be a good day tomorrow too right um just pulling up the weather oh no it's supposed to rain <laughs> it's supposed to rain tomorrow morning so hopefully you were able to get that done before the rain comes and goes but anyways enough of the nitty-gritty enough of this enough of that 
the Bruins. Depressing loss, right? We all we all watched it. We all saw it. We all can be couch coaches and critique this and critique that. Me having a Boston sports podcast, I have to kind of break it down analytically and as a fan trying not to get those two point of views crisscrossed. I try to stay non-biased as much as I possibly can, which is one of the biggest foundations of this podcast that I've had and I always will have. To give you the perspective from the fan first, this game was disgusting and terrible. The Bruins lost deservingly so. They couldn't get any offense going and their defense was abysmal. Final score was 6-2, to two, yes. But two of them were empty netters. So theoretically and realistically, excuse me, I just had dinner. It was 4-2. to two. Uh, Speaking of dinner, I had these delicious burgers. And I think that my microphone is picking up the sirens that was like down the street from me. Uh, I do apologize for that. I just had to pause it to kind of catch, to see if I was picking it up, if I had to apologize. I think they are gone out of the distance, and you may hear birds chirping. I do have the window open. Anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. Um, yeah, anyway, go back to the burgers, though. <laughs> back to the burgers, though. So Market Basket, they have, like, this little butcher shop, and you got wings, seasoned wings, uh, seafood, and then you got your meats, obviously, steak, burgers, whatever. I got three burgers with cheese and bacon kind of cooked into it oh my god it was delicious i had three of them i feel like a fat ass i feel like i just you know gained 10 uh, 10 pounds and i just feel disgusting but it was so good anyways back to the bruins theoretically four to two two of them were empty netters so final score ended up being six to two what the hell what on god's green earth happened i'm still being the fan here not the analyst what happened Krejci with one shot, Marshan with three shots, McAvoy two shots, Bergeron with two shots, uh, Taylor Hall with only one shot. Like, what? You only got 25 shots off on Semyon Varlamov. You usually been putting up 30, 35, 40. <sighs> My God. And then Tuka Rask, again, what was it? Um, like 17 shots and 13 goals or whatever it was that he gave up. At the end of the day, it was 27 shots and 23 saves. But I'm just done with Tuca. I know, I know. I sat here on Monday. I sat here on Wednesday. And I probably even sat here on last Friday's episode. And I was like, I trust Tuca. I believe in Tuca. And at that time, I did. But do not forget, I had a caveat. That caveat was him being healthy. Clearly, literally not even like a full day after the game after the Bruins got eliminated, Tukarask is like, oh, I'm mulling back surgery. And then I think today, it, you know, you come to find out that it was like an inflamed hip flexor or something like that, where he's going to need back and hip surgery or whatever. So that's going to put him out till June or February. If he was battling an injury, at whatever point in time that that injury occurred, now he did, I forget what the injury was, but he was out for an extended period of time. Um, mid to late season, that's kind of where we saw Jeremy Swayman really start to take off because Rask and Halak were both injured at that time. If you were not 100%, then why were you playing in these playoff games? I understand that statistically, with experience, hypothetically, you are our best goalie. Sure, I'll give you that one. But you are no good to us if you're not 100%, especially as a goaltender where you're, you know, sliding left and right, you know, taking 100 miles an hour slap shots or wrist shots, whatever, potentially getting hit, you know, ah, I mean, you're moving around the, the, the crease, going behind the net, doing that, handling the puck, whatnot, always, you know, kind of on your toes, knees bent. It's like, oh my goodness, why were you in net? Now, there was this issue at the end of game four, I think it was. But yeah, I think it was the end of game four because game three he played fantastic. That was a game he won for us. And I and I've given him credit for that. I've given Tuka Rask credit for winning us game three. Then game four we lose. He was potentially going to come out due to an injury. And he didn't. Okay. He starts game five. Same thing. Kind of trickles. Then he is pulled after going, uh, what was it, 16 shots and 12 goals for Jeremy Swayman. Now, was that injury related at the time? I don't think so. I just think that was because he sucked and he didn't have it that night. 
then all the pressure's on Bruce Cassidy to figure out the goaltending situation, who to start, who to sit. And he goes with Tuka Rask because he's saying that he's feeling good. You know that this guy has an injury. Anyone in that locker room, anyone in Boston besides Tuka and maybe his family knows that he is injured. Oh, I guess the training staff, but it's besides the point. As a coach, you have to make the best decision possible for your team to win. And it wasn't Tuka Rask. At the time, I thought it was, but like I said, I had the caveat that if he is healthy. Clearly, he wasn't. I put this this loss, Game 6, on Bruce Cassie. I don't put it on Tuka Rask. And you can blame him for the poor play. To an extent, though, was it Tuka Rask's decision to play in Game 6? Maybe, maybe not. But Bruce Cassidy even said that, oh, Tuka knows what he needs to do to get his body ready. Yes, but it's also your responsibility to make sure that him and his body is ready. And you didn't do that. Now, I'm not going to sit here in my chair in my office studio and call for Bruce Cassidy's job. I'm not doing that. But as the head coach of a National Hockey League team in the Boston Bruins, one of the original six teams, you are held to a higher standard. You coaching a team in Boston are held to a higher standard. And you sat down and consciously told yourself, and then eventually the media and the people of Boston and the people across the country who are going to tune in and are hockey fans, that Tuka Rask is good to go. Consciously knowing that he has this back, hip, whatever the hell's going on thing. Did you think to yourself that a 75 or a 65 or 50% Tuka Rask was better than 100% Jeremy Swayman? Now, if Game 6 was in Boston, would you have started Jeremy Swayman because you didn't want to throw the kid into the ring of fire in an elimination game in New York in a hostile environment? Maybe. But at that point, why didn't you activate Halak? Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that if you played Halak, you would have won, but you had options. You had options. It's just, I don't understand. A lot of people here in Boston and New England area love Jeremy Swimming, myself included. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he would have won you game six because I don't know. Like I said, young kid, rookie season, he's played 20 minutes in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Going into Game Six for his first start in New York in hostile environment, facing elimination, winner. I mean, losing that game could really affect his mentality, his confidence. I mentioned all of this on Wednesday. I mentioned all of this. So was that the reason why Tuka Rask was started? Did he even want to start? I would assume that he did because he's playing for a contract. But I mean, at what point? At what point was it determined that Tuka Rask? after the season, whenever the season ended, was going to need back hip surgery or whatever. Because this announcement came, I swear, like 12 hours or 18 hours, whatever, after the Bruins were eliminated on Thursday. Well, they were eliminated on Wednesday, but the announcement came on Thursday. Like, seriously. So this had to have been in the back of your head. This had to have been brewing for a post-season, whenever the season ended, uh, decision. And honestly, I I cannot see Bruce Cassidy not knowing about this and him consciously starting Tuka Rask. I give Tuka Rask 25% of the blame. I give him that blame because, A, he did play poorly, but we could also say that he was injured and that was hindering his performance. However, in that 25%, I also feel like that he could have said, Coach, no, I can't go. Now, obviously... We all know that people, competitors, players sport in sport aren't going to do that. You're not going to. Because Tuka Rask has so much hanging over his head for being a non-clutch goalie, not winning anything. And he wants to go prove the people wrong. I understand that. And that is why the other 75% is on Bruce Cassie for realizing that his goaltender is not 100%. Having to sit him for the young guy, regardless if the young kid is ready or not. You have to put your team in the best position possible to win. And Tuka Rask was not that guy. <sighs> so where does this leave us? Where, oh, oh, before I go into the whole offseason thing, 
I do kind of want to mention more that the offense could not get anything. They could barely enter into the Islanders' D zone, the blue line. They they turn the puck over a tremendous amount in their own blue zone. It's just like, guys, this is elementary stuff. Pass the puck tape to tape, bang it off the board. I don't care. But they just turn the puck over way too many times, generating way too many Islander chances. And, oh, God, it's just so frustrating. It's so frustrating. But that does segue into my next point is what do the Bruins need to do here in the offseason? They have some upcoming key free agents, and I'm not going to go over all of them, but big names, obviously. Taylor Hall, David Krejci, Sean Corrali, Mike Riley, Brandon Carlo, who's a restricted free agent, Tuka Rask, and Yaroslav Halak. They currently have, for the next season, for the 21-22 season, they have roughly $50,801,668 dedicated to their current rostered players. That leaves them with the salary cap being at $81.5 million. That currently leaves the Bruins with $30,698,332 in cap space. That's going to that's gonna you know kind of get swallowed up quickly when you have Taylor Hall, who potentially is going to get big money, uh, David Krejci, who has been making big money, Tuka Rask, who has made big money, and if he wasn't injured, probably would want more big money. And then Brandon Carlo, like I said, restricted free agent. That just kind of works a little bit different. Different, And I'm not all too worried about Mike Riley or Sean Corrali. I would love to bring Mike Riley back for a three-year deal, seven, eight million dollars if that's possible. I mean, I can't, you know, hockey contracts, they're just a little bit different than all the the rest of the sports because baseball, they're willing to just hand you so much money. They're just willing to do it. Basketball, they're willing to do it. Uh, football, they're just willing to do it. It's nuts. It's just so nuts. Hockey, I feel like that's not the case as much. They actually give you what you're more, what more so you're worth. And is that a good deal? Three years or for $8 million, $7 million? Can't see why not, but I'm not going to sit here and go into the nitty gritties of the numbers because that could obviously change from this or from that. But I do kind of want to highlight, uh, where is it? David Krejci was previously making $7.25 million. Now, I sit here and think to my, that was just for this past season. I'm going to sit here and think to myself, is he worth that much money? He is 35 years old, alternate captain, but is he worth that much money? I don't think so. I don't think so. But then again, you have to look at it. Well, who do you have coming up in to to replace him? Jack Stadnika, Carson Kuhlman, Greg McKegg, I mean, Curtis Lazar, Oscar Steen, Trent Frederick. I mean, he's a uh, restricted free agent himself. And obviously you have Sean Corrali. It's just like, oh, God. So we have 30 and a half or so million dollars. Krejci's 35. Two-year, three-year deal, five million maybe. I think that's as most as I'm giving them. But I mean, anywhere in around that ballpark, you kind of hands are tied, have to jump on it because you have no one else to replace him. That second line center, you don't. And speaking of the second line, you have Taylor Hall, who's going to be a restri- uh, unrestricted free agent as well. He made four million this past season, playing for the um, the Sabers and the Bruins, but. He's going to want big money or potentially big money. He performed very, very well during with the Bruins during the regular season. But come the playoffs, had a couple nice goals, but was really quiet during the Islanders series. Could that have hindered his next paycheck? Potentially. But Taylor Hall's only 29 years old. Coyle's also 29. But Marshan's 33. Bergeron's 35. Krejci, if you bring him back, is 35. And then you do have David Pasternak at 25 as well. But that's really your core right there. That's really your core right there. Jake DeBrusque, I'm not going to go into Jake DeBrusque, who's going to be making over $3.5 million. Ship his ass out. Trade him, please. Thank you. Anyways, I think you have to go all in on Taylor Hall. I think you do. Because that second line, 
that second line winger, whether it's the left or the right side, has been a problem for you in numerous years. Whether you want to look at 2012, 13, 14, whatever. It's been kind of a problem. So now that you have a good second line winger to go alongside potentially David Krejci if you bring him back, and you have Craig Smith for the next two years as well, you, you, you have to because he's an MVP level talent. You saw what he did for you in the regular season. He had a little bit of a moment in the playoffs. I just think you know a full year in your system, I think he's going to really thrive. I really think so. That's why I want to see him come back. And I really think you should try to lock him up four years, five years if you can. $30 million if necessary. That's six a year if it's five years. Yes, it's going to take up a chunk of your salary cap. But when you look at the fact that last year Tuka Rask was making $7 million. And I cannot see him demanding that kind of money. Based off of the fact that he's had a couple injuries now. He did not. He performed well early in the playoffs, but when it mattered most, it didn't. He's going to be coming off a major back hip in, uh, surgery that's putting him out till January, February of 2022. I really don't see a team giving him a three, four, five-year contract for six, seven million dollars. So, could you bring Tuka back on a one-year uh, or a two-year deal that's fairly cheap? Sure, but do I want it? I don't think so. I don't think so. So if you just let him walk, you're going to be clearing that money up. So Taylor Hall will kind of be taking on, you know, theoretically that spot if you were to pay Tuka market value if he was healthy and whatnot. You see see the math I'm trying to do here? Because you have Jeremy Swayman on a rookie deal. You have Daniel Vladar on a rookie deal. You could even bring back Yaroslav Halak on a one-year, you know, he made $2.25 million last year. So you could bring him back for that kind of a value to give you a veteran presence. But I just don't think bringing Tuka back for anywhere near market value or anywhere near a multi-year deal outside of two years is worth it. I just don't. And if you want to bring him back for a two-year deal so he can be the backup to Jeremy Swayman, I will entertain that. I will entertain that, but I think I am done with him being the starter. And I think a lot of Bruins fans out there, maybe yourself included, are done with him as the starter as well. Maybe you've been done with him as the starter for a handful of seasons now. So I do not blame you there. And then also the defense. The defense needs to be revamped. You let Zidane Chard go. I hate, I hate, you know, kicking the old horse. But Zidane Chard left. You didn't bring him back because you believed in your young core that they are young, good, and ready. Potentially so. Potentially so. Oh, I also forgot to mention Kevin Miller is an unrestricted free agent. I forgot to mention that when I listed some key free agents. So you have Mike Riley unrestricted. You have Kevin Miller unrestricted. You have Brandon Carlo, a restricted free agent. You have some moves to make. You have some moves to make. Now, yes, you do have some good young core guys that are in their low to mid-20s. But are they ready? Are they ready? Because this playoff series, specifically against the Islanders, showed that they are not. When you lose Kevin Miller, who's injury-prone, I don't know if I want him back if he's so injury-prone, but he was making $1.25 million last year. If you can get him back for that price, I'll take the gamble. Mike Riley was making $1.5 million. Brandon Carlo is almost making $3 million. I think you got to lock him up. He's a good piece of that young core because you got McAvoy, Grizzlick, and then Carlo. That's a solid, that's a really solid three guys for defense. Then you just got to figure out everything else. You got to figure out your depth. That fourth defenseman, whether it's Mike Riley or Kevin Miller, you got Connor Clifton locked up for a couple of more seasons. You got Euro Vakaninen for a couple more seasons. Jeremy Lozon, who we saw a lot of playing time this year. Do we think he's ready to take that next step? A lot of people say no. You know, uh, Jacob Zaboral, is he ready for that next step as well? Stephen Campers, unrestricted free agent. Jared Tenorti, the guy you picked up off waivers from the uh, Nashville Predators. He's 29 years old and unrestricted free agent. These, these are just questions that you have to look. Because I think the 
bigger problem here between the forwards and the defense is the defense. And the forwards have their own issue. They have their own issue. A one-line team couldn't generate secondary scoring from their second, third, or fourth line, but you don't expect it from their fourth line. But when you look at the Islanders, they were a four-line team. They were able to put any line out there to play against any of your defensive pairings or any of your forward lines and perform well. But honestly, I really think that this series was lost due to the fact that the Bruins couldn't defend their own zone, defend against the Islanders' attack, and also just through turnovers, which isn't just entirely defense ball. That's a, you know an entire team issue, but still. So what I want the Bruins to do, what I want the Bruins to do this offseason, is I want them to either probably go out and sign the best available defenseman. Now, I'm not putting this in order of what I want. I'm just, just throwing my ideas on the wall. I want them to go out there and get the best defenseman available, whoever that is. I haven't looked at the class yet. I don't want them to bring back Tuka Rask. I want them to re-sign Taylor Hall to a multi-year deal. Potentially bring back David Krejci on a team-friendly deal. Obviously, team-friendly can be used a little bit in limbo because you kind of need him. You kind of need him. I want them to trade Jake DeBrusque, push Nick Ritchie down to the fourth line, and then bring in a really solid third-line winger. I think if all that can be made, you're not looking too bad for next year. Just, you know, spitballing some ideas, shooting shit, you know, at the wall. It's just the Bruins do have a lot of work to do. And you're probably thinking to yourself, well, the Bruins are far more advanced than or far more uh, Stanley Cup ready than the Celtics are, you know, NBA Finals ready. And that is a conversation for another episode. Let me tell you, we can go well into the Celtics issues another time because right now it's all going to be about the Bruins because they are the closest team to winning the respective championship. Red Sox, arguably. Patriots, going to have to wait and see. Celtics, don't get me started. We all are disappointed on how the season ended for the Bruins. You, me, your dad, your grandpa, your mom, your sister, your brother, your cousin, whoever. Your aunt, your uncle, your grandmother who hasn't seen a hockey puck in 25 years. We're all disappointed. But if they can make the necessary adjustments with the available money, make the uh, necessary moves, and break that relationship with Tuca because that money could be used to fill or sign Taylor Hall, to sign David Krejci, to go get yourself a top-tier defenseman, whether it's free agency or trade. I don't know the free agency class, like I said. Now, trade Jake DeBrusque, a couple draft picks, see what you can get for that maybe. Maybe trade one of those young defensemen that you uh, so claim to have. All that being said, I'm disappointed that the Bruins season's over. I wish it didn't end in six games here in the second round, but it did. We have a lot to look forward to here in the po- uh, not the postseason, in the offseason, although we're out and eliminated and a lot of difficult moves have to be made, but it's going to be an exciting offseason nonetheless. I have a lot of faith that hopefully Bruce Cassidy, Don Sweeney, Cam Neely can all make the right moves for this team next year. And as those moves come, I will be sure to let you know whether social media, depending when it happens, or here on Murph's Boston Sports Talk, depending when it happens. But we are eliminated. It is depressing. It is very upsetting. But that is just reality. You basically lost the series. I don't think the Islanders won the series. You were clearly the better team than they were, at least on paper. And probably by, uh, you know, by skill. But just your first line showed up. Just McAvoy showed up. And Tuka was there for three games out of six. Or the first three games out of six, right? So we will have to see where this team goes moving forward. Like I said, it sucks that we're out, but I'm definitely interested to see where it goes. So with that, I'm going to wrap up this Bruins segment because otherwise I'm going to keep kind of dragging on (laughs) the end of it. Let's start talking about Chris Sale, right? Haven't really done much about that because he's been out with Tommy John surgery that he had last year. Missed all of last year. He's going to miss a lot of this year. 
And the article that I pulled from MassLive.com written by Christopher Smith headlines, Chris Sale, Boston Red Sox ace, felt, quote, the best he's felt throughout the process, end quote, throwing off Fenway Park Mount Friday, which was today. The article says, Chris Sale threw a bullpen session off the Fenway Park Mound Friday. The Red Sox ace who is rehabbing from Tommy John surgery has been here working out during the homestand. He might also go out on the road when the team travels to Atlanta on Tuesday. Quote, we need to try to not get too excited. He was that good. End quote. Red Sox manager Alex Cora said about Sale's session Friday. Quote, just the energy and the quality of pitches, the tempo. He looked really good. Really good. He said that the best... He said that that's the best he's felt throughout the process. Excuse me. Having his peers around him means a lot to him, and I think pitching on that mound means a lot. Obviously, with the technology, it helps us with information, but being on a big league mound, being a big league player, that means a lot to him. He does not take that for granted. It was a really good one. End quote. Sale, who underwent Tommy John surgery in March 2020, said Tuesday he 100% expects to pitch for the Red Sox in 2021 unless, quote, Something crazy happened, end quote. Sale expects a lot out of himself when he returns. Quote, I expect to be myself, be the guy I've always been. I just started throwing breaking balls and the first couple weren't pretty. And my expectation level is still as high, if not higher than it ever has been. I was down in Florida. I was with uh, Ryan Brazier and I threw the first breaking ball and he's like, quote, you look like you're confused or something. What did you expect that to look like? End quote from Brazier. Chris Sale was like, quote, I expected that to be nasty. I didn't expect for the catcher to have to jump to catch it. So I fully expect to be who I am and do what I do at the highest level. Now, earlier, I alluded to the fact that Chris Sale is open to the idea of potentially playing in a certain role for this team when and if he comes back. That role is for him to come out of the bullpen. Now, if he comes out of the bullpen, we may see him sooner than later if he was to rehab as a starter. Obviously, I want Chris Sale to be in the starting rotation. Duh. But if that if he coming out of the bullpen means he can come back sooner, I don't know if I'm on board with that. Now, I would love to have Chris Sale as soon as possible. Trust me. But we need the starting pitching. We do. And would I be against him getting a, you know, you know, rehabbing completely, obviously the whole minor league system where he goes from double A, triple A, whatever? Yes. Would I be against him getting a few bullpen appearances first before he actually starts? I would not be against that. I would actually support that. Maybe again, three, four relief pitching uh, appearances before he waits, you know, a week or so before he gets that first start. I think that's the direction that he should go in. I don't want him to rush back to start. I don't want him to rush back to just pitch at all this year. I mean, look at Nathan Evaldi. Was it 2019, I think it was? He had a little bit of elbow. I think it was elbow, but it wasn't Tommy John. And he rehabs he comes back but as a relief pitcher I think he was the closer that year quite frankly and he was okay I don't have the stats in front of me I don't really care but we've seen this track record before for a starting pitcher who was coming back from injury to go in the bullpen and like I've mentioned before I think the Red Sox bullpen is okay I think they're okay enough to not need Chris Sale out there except for the fact he's going to throw a few outings just to kind of, you know, get reacclimated to big league hitters in the feel of the whole big league situation. I know that there's word out there that he could be back around late June, early July. That's great. But that also poses the question of will the Red Sox go out and trade for somebody, pitcher or not, when they have Chris Sale coming back around that time. Now, I've alluded to in the a uh, few episodes ago that the Red Sox need, you know, probably another outfielder, you know, another bat, maybe some speed off the bench, and maybe uh, another arm. Now, when Chris Sale comes back, the Red Sox could absolutely be like, oh, we got our guy. We got our guy at the deadline. He's returning from injury in Chris Sale. I don't want that. I absolutely do not want that 
We've seen that before, especially with the Celtics when uh, was it? Avery Bradley came back from injury one time. I think Rondo came back from injury one time. Like, oh, we are saved. Just go out and get the guy, okay? Don't obviously go spending a ton of draft picks on some rental. Don't do that. But go out and make the smart move. You know what we need. You know, I'm speaking to Heimblum now or, you know, Red Sox ops. You know what we need. Outfielder, another bat, maybe some speed, maybe an arm in the bullpen. Because when you have Chris Sale coming back, that yes, that does fill your starting need. So I'm not going to say go out and get a starter when you have Chris Sale coming back. But just because you have Chris Sale coming back does not mean you can exclude or ignore your other team needs. That's just complete negligence to the roster because as it stands right now, let me pull it up. Let me pull up the up. Oh, first of all, they're losing bottom five. Um, right now, as we look at it, you are only one game back behind the Tampa Bay Rays. You're in second place. That is fantastic. Um, by looking at it, you are currently the number one wildcard team. Okay. You have the best record among the potential wildcard teams. You're only one game behind the Rays. Like I said, you can still win the division. You can make a strong push. Now, I'm not going to say that the Red Sox can go in the World Series because obviously the White Sox look really good. The Athletics look good. Obviously, you got a full taste of Houston. And then the National League is a completely different story, but I'm not going to go into it. You're going to need to improve this team. You cannot rely on Chris Sale, who is coming back from Tommy John injury, Tommy John surgery, missing a whole year plus of baseball. To be your savior. You can't do it. That's first of all unfair for, to ask of that of him. And also it's just super unrealistic. Because you have other needs. Especially you know. Maybe contact. I mean the whole league has a contact problem. Because you know batting average is. Record down. Record low this year. Because people only care about hitting home runs. Or nothing right. But do not ignore your other team needs when just because you have Chris Sale coming back. Because we do not know what kind of Chris Sale we're going to get. We can only hope that we get the best possible version of Chris Sale possible. Yes, of course. But is that realistic? Maybe, maybe not. Yes, pitchers can throw faster. You know, historically can throw a couple miles an hour faster when they come back from Tommy John. Chris Sale's like 31 or whatever, and he's been able to throw 100 his whole career. Now, I don't expect him to go out and pump 103, 104 on the gun in his third appearance of the year. But it takes players, you know, usually a full year after they come back to become that normal player that they once were prior to the surgery. Adam Wainwright, huge example. Great young up-and-coming pitcher for the Cardinals back in like the mid-2000s. Had Tommy John surgery, missed a full year. The the following year, came back solid but okay. And then the year after that, two years removed from the Tommy John injury, he was that, that ace that he once was prior. So that's just one example. There's tons of other examples out there. So you have to take Chris Sale's return from Tommy John surgery with a grain of salt at first. Now, like I said, late July, early August is just a potential window. A lot can change between now and then. You know, training staff, medical staff may not think he's ready. Obviously, Chris Sale would love to be out there now if he could. But that's just not part of the process. So you have to take it easy with this guy. He is your franchise starting pitcher. You're paying him $30-something million, million dollars a year. Take it a little easy with him, especially if you're doing relatively good come his return. If you're doing really solid, you're in the same spot or so, whatever, in a couple months, don't rush him back. Don't rush him back. So that is going to wrap it up for my Red Sox minute because I do have something I want to talk about in regards to the Patriots, and it revolves around Mac Jones. Yes, Mac Jones again and again and again and again. I know. But when he's the first-round draft pick of this past year, there's a conversation to be had about him. There really is. I mean, is he the future of this team? Or is Cam Newton just going to bridge it? Jared Siddham's still in the in the locker room. Still in the quarterback room. And then you have Brian Horace. So there's four guys. All buying in. And trying to get some reps. Brian Hoyer, maybe not so much. He probably knows his role for this team. And 
That's why he's here, and he's probably okay with it, and I'm okay with it. But Mac Jones, he's arguing, he's fighting, he's trying to get that playing time and be the starter over Cam Newton and Jared Stidham. Jared Stidham, obviously, third round, uh, fourth round quarterback, whatever it was, third year in the league, he's going to try to get it himself. And he's had moments where he's shined and where he hasn't. But he's still vying for his his opportunity because, you know, Cam Newton's still there. And as we know, Bill Belichick has said that Cam Newton is the starting quarterback, you know, for now, right? So I do kind of want to uh, play this interview that Mac Jones had. And I just find it really interesting. So hold on. Let me switch the mic over and play it for you. Relationship with Cam Newton been like so far? How helpful has he been to you uh, individually? Yeah, it's been good. I mean, he, he calls me Mac and Cheese, so I got my nickname. Um, but he's he's done an awesome job being a good mentor, and he brings great energy. And Brian and Jarrett um, have done a good job helping me in the film room, and um, all three of them just watch their reps and learn as much as much as I can. You, know, you don't have to be in the in in on that play to learn. So I just have to figure out how to do that, and I've been getting a lot better just watching tape and learning how to do that, and they've helped me in that regard. I wanted to ask you just about Josh. And your relationship with him and yeah i mean i've gotten hard coaching my whole life so i'm super hard on myself so sometimes it's hard but josh um he expects everything to be perfect and that's why he's so great at what he does and um, our relationship's great and he does that with all the quarterbacks so if you miss one detail then that's not good enough and you know as a rookie you want to try and get everything right but you're not going to so i just have to accept that and try and be the best i can be but josh has put us all in a great position he He's a great teacher. He's a great coach. He's a great person. So I'm looking forward to you know this relationship to grow. And that is Mac Jones during his interview there. Okay. All right. All right. No. 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 We're not not going to the next video. <laughs> I love almost every word about that that he said. Actually, probably every word about it. I mean, he's optimistic. I I feel like he knows his place with this team, or at least among the quarterbacks, he knows that he's the backup to Cam Newton, or maybe not the backup, but a backup to Cam Newton. So he knows he's not going to be the starter. But his just li from listening to that, his spirits seem so high, and he seems so confident. And we've heard that he is grasping all of this Patriots schemes and all the plays and all the play calls. It's just Cam Newton struggled to pick that up. Obviously, you know, COVID, the shortened um, preseason, all that, well, no preseason, but the shortened like camps and all that. I just really think that the Patriots have a good one here with Mac Jones. Not going to sit here and say that, you know, moving up and trading up in the draft to get someone else was not a good idea or that they should have. Although, you know, I still think they should have. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Mac Jones seems like he's going to be a really good quarterback. He's saying the right things. And a lot of the stuff that's coming out from, you know, training camp and OTAs and such sound like it's really good. And he could honestly give Cam Newton a run for his money come um, preseasons, right? I really think, I don't think he'll win it. But, you know, Cam Newton gets injured or if anything was to happen to Cam Newton, he sucks. He's not playing good. The team's not playing good. We could absolutely see Mac Jones over Jared Stidham. I haven't heard much about Jared Stidham, though, and I'm, I kind of want to because... You know, if I'm Jared Stidham, that's your job, right? Backing up Cam Newton or even starting over Cam Newton should be your job. You were drafted first. You had a year under Brady. You were thought to be the guy when Brady left and before they signed Cam Newton. And now they bring in this first-round draft pick and he's going to take your reps and your, your job? I don't know. I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. But, you know, enough about Mac Jones, you know, even though it was just a really quick segment. I do kind of want to switch over to another Patriots draft pick, and that is uh, last year's first pick. Not first round or not first overall, but, you know, their first pick in the draft last year being Kyle Duggar. Now, we had the first round pick 24 or whatever it was, traded back to the second round, early second round with the Chargers, and drafted Duggar there. A lot of people weren't really excited about this draft pick came from like a D2 school and uh, he was kind of like a return guy but this past season we were really able to see his versatility kind of like that middle linebacker or a sub linebacker kind of safety where he'd go guard tight ends guard running backs and such of the like but Kyle Duggar is getting a lot of praise 
this year for what we could potentially see come next year. And he's getting a lot of comparisons. I, I forget who said it, but someone compared Kyle Duggar to being potentially the next Jamal Adams. Just let that breathe for a second. Now, I don't know if I believe that hype just yet because Jamal Adams is a top three, arguably eight, the top safety in the league, sub-linebacker safety, whatever. He's up there, right? <clears throat> so I'm, I want to read this uh, piece from an article on uh, Patriots Pulpit. Patriots 2021 roster breakdown. Kyle Duggar's a realistic candidate for the second-year jump by Burned uh, Butchmaster. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I'm not going to read the whole article, but I just want to read his 2021 preview. What is his projected role? Duggar's progression in 2020 is a sign of things to come. While he started out as a rotational player, he took on a starter role over the second half of the season. He did have his fair share of growing pains, but his usage indicated that the Patriots coaching staff is feeling confident. Jesus, my goodness, I'm still burping. Is feeling confident in his potential contributions moving forward. Duggar, who switched jersey numbers during the offseason from 35 to Patrick Chung's old 23, should therefore be expected to see considerable playing time either in his 2020 role as a box slash strong safety or as a deep man in the mold of a veteran Devin McCourty. I'd rather him be that box strong safety sub linebacker type player. Keep Devin McCourty back there or have another safety do that job. I really like Duggar more, you know, in the box, right? What is his special teams value? As mentioned, Duggar was a core special teamer for the Patriots in 2020. While his usage in the game's third phase might be impacted by his exposure on defense, more snaps as a safety might mean fewer snaps in the kicking game. The second-year man offers experience to help out once again. Duggar was a five-unit special teamer last year and also returned a pair of kickoffs. I With obviously Julian Edelman now gone and Dante Moncrief not doing the kick returns, Gunnar Oshleski is more than likely going to be the kick return guy. So we're not going to see Kyle Duggar do any of that, but we could see him kind of as a core special team unit, kind of as a specialist, kind of like a Matthew Slater, but not a gunner. But in that kind of capacity, we could see him, you know, play both defense and special teams. But obviously I would pick defense over special teams. Of course, does he have positional versatility? According to pro football focus, positional tracking, Duggar played at least 34 snaps at five different positions as a rookie. He primarily aligned as a box safety, 297 snaps throughout the year, but also was moved around the formation. Duggar also lined up as a slot corner 94 times, free safety 50 times, a perimeter corner 43 times, and along the defensive line 34 times. As his experience in the system grows even further, so should his usage as a versatile chess piece within the Patriots secondary. And yeah, I don't really care. It's just a salary cap, but he's rookie contracts. It doesn't really matter. Now, I, I wish I knew who said that he was going to be the next Jamal Adams or even better. I wish I had that, but I don't. If, you know, depending on how Kyle Duggar plays in his second year, obviously preseason is going to be a big tell and early in the season will be a massive tell itself. I could see Kyle Duggar being a really good Patriots defensive player. Now, I'm not going to throw him in the whole, uh, you know, league best category or top whatever in the league. I'm not there yet. He's just a second year. Still has a lot to prove. But his versatility that we've seen is incredible. He can play the slot corner. He can play perimeter, free safety, strong safety, uh, sub linebacker. He can guard the tight end, the running back. He can even do stuff on special teams, which is a very nice tool to have in your toolbox. So... As long as he keeps performing and performs well at all these positions, I love what I'm seeing from the guy, especially with Patrick Chung now retired. Patrick Chung was kind of that versatile toolbox kind of guy, and hopefully Kyle Duggan can take on that role and even excel at it, which I could very much so seeing. Before I wrap up today's episode, I do want to give you a quick little update that the Red Sox are losing 5-2 to two in the bottom of the six to the Toronto Blue Jays at Fenway Park. But anyways, guys, that's going to do it for today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Massive Bruins uh, conversation, a little bit of Red Sox and Chris Sale, and then obviously to round it out, 
at the end with a little bit of Patriots discussion as well. Comment down below if you're watching on YouTube or reach out to me on social media at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. Let me know what you think about today's discussion. I want to hear your feedback, your side of the story, your opinion, conversation, debate, discussion, argument, even if that's the case and that's where it may go. I want to hear your thoughts, comments, concerns, and all that good stuff. So reach out to me on social media or comment down below on YouTube. And speaking of YouTube, if you liked today's episode, please leave a nice little thumbs up on the video and subscribe if you're new or haven't considered yet subscribing to the channel as well. Thank you guys so much for downloading, listening, enjoying on all the audio platforms. I really appreciate it very, very, very much. I hope that you had a great week and you're going to have a better weekend. I know there's a little bit of rain tomorrow morning, but I think the rest of the weekend is looking okay. Sunday is going to be 79 and then Monday a little bit of thunderstorm. That's kind of gross. Kim and I were supposed to go to the beach on Monday. But we'll just have to wait and see. Things change. But anyways, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. I will catch you on Monday's episode. But between now and then, you know that I love you guys. And you know that I will always see you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.